first NDP government in 16 years will be sworn in next week to talk about what comes next is Global BC's Keith Baldry, the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer and Rob Shaw. Later in the show, we'll talk education with BCTF President Glenn Hansman. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics for Kamloops Computer Centre. Here's NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning and thank you for listening. Before we get going, I want to send a thank you out to Terry Lake. Uh, for filling in for me over the last few weeks. I didn't realize when I booked those holidays months ago, it would span one of the most interesting times in the history of BC politics. So I appreciate Terry stepping in to keep the show going. Uh, glad to be joined by Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Rob Shaw. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning. Good to hear your voices. Uh, guys, I missed a lot over the last three weeks, but uh, we're going to get a new NDP government tomorrow, bringing to a close the first chapter since we all went to the polls back on May the 9th. Uh, the NDP, of course, have a, a laundry list of to-do items. Uh, so the uh, big question is, is once they get going, what do they do first? Keith? Well, I think, uh, yeah, laundry list is right, but I think um, they're bound to disappoint a number of the all various constituencies that have supported them over the years who are expecting the world to change, um, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. R- Rob had a good piece last week about just how much they can do without the legislature actually sitting through cabinet order, through regulations, and they're going to accomplish a lot like that. But uh, in terms of a legislative package, you're not going to see a big a big agenda from, from these guys because they don't really have the numbers to make it work in the legislature. They're going to pass some bills, but every bill to pass is going to be a little arduous than normally would be the case. So I think the NDP is uh, going to be giddy at the first bit as the House resumes sitting in September. But as time goes on, there's bound to be disappointments for their for their various special interest groups, constituencies. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Green Party, who are propping them up with support, is going to be fascinating to see if they're going to be satisfied as time goes on, whether or not uh, the NDP is delivering as much as they had promised uh, Vaughn, uh, John Horgan telling us here at NL that uh, first off, he's going to head out uh, Ottawa, Washington to talk opioid overdose crisis, softwood lumber, uh, and uh, money, as I understand it, for highway improvements, among other things, with the Prime Minister and, of course, with U.S. authorities. Yes, and there's going to be an empty chair at the Premier's Conference in Edmonton next week. Uh, we haven't had a, an empty chair. I don't think W.A.C. Bennett used to boycott Premier's Conferences and First Minister's Conferences generations ago, but uh, usually the Premier of B.C. goes because they want to make contact with all the other Premiers and build up alliances. Horgan won't be there. He's, uh, I guess, right in the middle of it. He's swearing in his cabinet, and then he's off, as you say, to Ottawa and Washington. The, I see some indications, Shane, in the business pages today that there may be a deal in the works on softwood, which mm. would be a big relief to this country if we could get it out of the way before we have to deal with NAFTA, but uh, you never know when you're dealing with Donald Trump, as everybody in the world knows, so I don't know. I wish Horgan well on that one. It would be good for British Columbia to get some sort of settlement, but I don't know how close it is. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Rob, I know that the agreement between the NDP and the Greens stipulated the legislature be recalled as soon as possible, I believe within a month, but it doesn't sound like we're going to see a sitting until the fall. Uh, What does that mean for getting things done? Well, it's, it sounds like Andrew Weaver and the Greens are fully on board with that idea, the pushing off the legislature's return until after Labor Day. So I think what we might see for the next uh, you know month and a half is going to be uh, swearing in, as uh, Keith put it, kind of this giddy period for the New Democrats. Horgan's going to go off on this kind of goodwill tour. He not only goes to Ottawa uh, to talk about some things, but he'll end up in uh, speaking to the business community in Toronto, trying to reassure them that uh, things are okay in British Columbia, or that all the money in the uh, 
the economic uh, prosperity over there isn't going to disappear overnight. Uh, head off to D.C., come back. I, I'm thinking that trip's going to be in late July. And then August, uh, I think, will be a bit of a down period for some of the MLAs and for Horgan himself. They're going to take a, a little bit of time off. And uh, kind of behind the scenes, they'll be working on writing that legislation for the fall. So, you know, there will be stuff that's passed through cabinet orders uh, and uh, things like Site C. The the review of Site C can start pretty much immediately with a stroke of a pen from cabinet. So that stuff will get underway. But then there'll be a kind of a bit of a pause where everyone uh, braces uh, for the legislature to come back after Labor Day. Keith, you mentioned that there's going to be some disappointment. What do you think is going to be pushed off or possibly never materialized? Well, it's still unclear whether this uh, bill to uh, for reforming campaign uh, political donations is going to actually going to pass this fall. I mean, it's going to be introduced, but there seems to be mixed messaging whether or not a lot of it's just going to go out for consultation and come back in the in the spring. So that's that's going to leave some people flat, I think, if it's not passed uh, immediately rather than than later. The other thing. Rob mentioned Site C. I mean, uh, it, it is by no means a sure thing that the Site C dam will be stopped or, or halted or suspended uh, just because it goes to the Utilities Commission. And it's by no means certain that the Kinder Morgan pipeline is going to be delayed by the B.C. government or not. So those two big, those are two major items on the Green Party's agenda, and it is far from clear whether they're going to be satisfied at all when it comes to uh, to stopping both of these projects. And think, I, in fact, I think uh, the odds favor both of those projects going ahead with, uh, with, with sort of the look-the-other-way uh, view from the NDP government. Uh, uh, I think that's, that's a, a, a bit of a time bomb for, the, um, for this Green Party-NDP alliance. The other one is, and I found it very interesting, when Christy Clark talked to Jim Harrison at, at your station, where she's voicing uh, hesitation or, or alarm about proposed electoral reform, that is an issue that is going to explode, I think, uh, amongst these three parties, because mm-hmm. the Green Party's gone all in on pushing for electoral reform. The NDP is sort of there as a partner, but they're split on that issue, and now the Liberals seem to be wanting to oppose it because they think it's going to uh, cut back on representation from, from all the regions outside Metro Vancouver. So. Those are th- three big issues that I think are going to go sideways, potentially, for uh, for various parties. Vaughn, I know that uh, you wrote an interesting column about Site C the other day. Do you think that, uh, that that will, in fact, go ahead or no? Uh, it's very easy for people who don't have a stake, first of all, in a job in that project, uh, to say, get rid of it. Uh, it's easy to write off the amount of money that's already been spent and the amount of work that's been done there. But I toward the site last fall. I've looked at the most recent statements from BC Hydro and how many people are working there. It's 2,500 people, I think, is the, 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 the count in May. Uh, $2 billion already spent, more committed. Um, I, I do have trouble believing, Shane, that if they sit down and look at it, they're going to be able to kill it. Now, they've got a six-week review, which to me is a frankly, a half-assed exercise. The <laughs> Utilities Commission reviewed the Site C project for the Bill Bennett government in the 1980s. It took them two years to do a proper review. So I think a six-week review is a, is a, is a poor substitute for a proper review. Um, so I look at it all and I go, you know, it's very easy for a critic of the project to say, kill it. But does Premier John Horgan really want to put 2,500 people on the unemployment line? Is one of the first things he does in government. So I, I have my doubts. It's the the one thing that happened this week, Shane, and it just we just discovered it yesterday. Um, they're 
relocating the road there because the road, the right of way of the, of the highway is going to be flooded when, yeah. they, when they finish the dam, when the reservoir starts filling. And as you know, that road goes through somebody's home. It's the Ken and Arlene Boone. Their property's been expropriated. They're subject to eviction. The eviction notice was dated tomorrow, and Boone was rightly saying he wondered if BC Hydro was going to be knocking on the door on Sunday morning saying, get out. Well, they've been given another extension, no surprise. The extension goes to the 23rd of July, and by then we'll have a new premier, we'll have a new energy minister. We may have new leadership at BC Hydro. There's a rumor of a shakeup coming there. So I think you will see that there will a lot of what's been going on there in terms of new contracts, in terms of the evictions, will be put on hold. But I don't think you can get in six weeks a really persuasive verdict uh, that will lead you to kill Site C. You may kill it for political reasons, but mm. I don't think it'll be the case that you'd want to see on it. Rob, uh, Site C to you. Yeah, no, I, I can't add much more than Vaughn put it there. I, I was actually more interested in picking up on campaign finance reform. Yeah. I, find it, I find it fascinating that the NDP want to send this out for public consultation after you know hitting it so hard that it needs to be done immediately. And the only reason, I think, two reasons that they might do that. One is if they want to just find a way to keep collecting corporate and union donations for the fall in case there's, you know, the specter of some type of maybe snap election or something like that. However, Andrew Weaver suggested that maybe, you know, the the legislation could be retroactive at some point to to prevent that from happening. And the other reason they might want to delay it is because eventually we're going to get the conversation here about taxpayer dollars being used to finance political parties, which the liberals used as the boogeyman argument against this in the election. Uh, and it's hard to kind of avoid that discussion. And so possibly the New Democrats want to inoculate themselves against that criticism by sending it out for consultation, using that as a shield when it comes back and says, look, we don't have a lot of other options here. We're going to have to throw in public money to finance these these campaigns and then bring in the bill that allows that to happen. So those are two, you know, discussion points that are going to make that a much a messier proposition than we thought during the election. We thought it was a done deal. It was going to be the first thing done by a new Democrat government, according to John Horgan. And now it looks like eh, maybe they're going to have to find some way to fudge it a bit uh, until they get around to doing it. We haven't seen public dollars put in any of the six NDP bills, though, yet so far, to my knowledge. No, but, you know, yeah. they've also left all of them open to, well, we'll have to strike some type of review panel to figure yeah, it out. Yeah. And what else do you do? I mean, uh, you either allow the parties to raise such a minimal amount of money that, that the campaigns are significantly different, or you throw them a bone and give them some sort of tax dollars, even on a, like the federal government did on a kind of transition period for a number of years until they figure out how to finance campaigns on their own. So that, that'll really be kind of where the rubber meets the road on that. Okay, uh, let's take a quick break here on Inside Politics on Radio NL. More with Keith, Rob, and Vaughn after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Accountable to you. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Welcome back. We're talking to Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Rob Shaw. Uh, guys, we talked a little bit about Site C just before the break. Uh, one of the things the incoming government will likely do, as uh, Vaughn noted in his column a few days ago, uh, is mess with the management of BC Hydro. I, I asked uh, uh, John Horgan about uh, if he would do that, as well as what his plans are for ICBC. Just take a listen to this. Those are two cr- well, those are two crowns, uh, BC Hydro and ICBC, that are critically important to people, uh, whether it's providing electricity or, or uh, car insurance. This is something that's fundamental here in BC. 
also has an impact on our budgeting processes at, uh, in central government. We need to get uh, some answers from uh, ICBC and BC Hydro on how they got to the place they're in right now, and, and we fully intend to get those answers. Is Jessica, Jessica McDonald safe in her job, John, or no? I think personnel issues are not my lane these days. I'm focusing on making sure that we're prepared to ask the right questions when the transition is complete, and we have a government that hits the ground running next Tuesday uh, to provide services for people and to make sure we're getting value for money. That's what uh, voters want, and that's what I intend to deliver. All right, playing a little coy there, but Vaughn, no doubt in your mind that there's going to be some changes there. Yeah, I mean, the obvious one is the chair of the board of BC Hydro is Brad Bennett, who worked on Christy Clark's election campaign. So if he doesn't resign himself on Monday, I would assume that John Horgan will replace him on Tuesday. Uh, if you want to shake up the executive suite, I mean, the, the full-time managers and CEO and all that at Hydro, you normally do that by changing the board of directors and they make those actual decisions. I think we did have an executive vice president of Hydro leave in the last couple of weeks without explanation. So there may be some currents flowing there at Hydro that uh, people expect some changes. As I said, I I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Andrew Weaver hinted that uh, we're headed for that as well. And that could affect, of course, the answers we get on Site C. I mean, if the NDP replaces the leadership at the top of BC Hydro, Hydro itself may give different answers about the need for Site C, and that could change what happens with the Utilities Commission as well. Rob, is there anything that that BC Hydro would cough up as far as information, and John Horgan says he's going to ask, that would change the dynamic of Site C or no? Well, you know... (laughs) Having dealt with Hydro over the years, Hydro doesn't cough up information. It pounds you in information. It would send, you know, binders upon binders, and hidden in there is the one answer to the one question you asked. So, I, you know, I, it, I, I don't know of exactly what the New Democrats hope to find and how quickly they hope to find it, but Hydro is a... Hydro is a problem file for them. ICBC, I mean, we it kind of gets lost in the discussion here, but we were all doing stories on ICBC not that long ago on how big of a mess they are in in terms of the rate hikes that they might have mm-hmm. to bring in on drivers. Remember, there was a review launched into yep. the core structuring of ICBC that didn't come back when we thought it was going to come back and is still sitting there presumably just about done or done or waiting for the NDP to read it. And that was a fundamental review of of how they do business. And so you could see more significant changes, I think, at ICBC on the way insurance is is handled for vehicles and and who's eligible and who's not than you could at at, uh, Hydro. And, you know, there's the other thing about luxury vehicles. Remember we were talking about Mm -hmm. that, uh, the cost of repairing luxury vehicles and the extra insurance they might have to buy. And that has not been solved at all, despite Todd Stone talking about it as theoretical, um, we've never really understood how that was going to work either. So in my mind, there's a lot more hidden tripwires in ICBC yeah. than there are in Hydro right now for the government to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Keith? I, see, I think ICBC is a ticking time bomb. Um, this is a, there's some profound structural problems there that go beyond politics. Uh, the the uh, unbelievable escalation in the cost of settling claims, you know, accident whiplash, the most common form of injury in, in, car, in car accidents, whiplash, uh, the, the cost of settling whiplash 
claims has exploded over the last few years. I mean, it's gone from you know $100,000 to well more than that. You've got the number of uh, the number of uh, rear end collisions because of uh, distracted driving has exploded. So these these costs have suddenly in the last three or four years have just gone through the roof for ICBC, and our, our insurance rates do not match what is required to pay for these, mm-hmm. this type of thing. So uh, this, this time bomb has been handed off from the Liberals onto the NDP, and the NDP tore itself inside out in the 1990s over the issue of no-fault insurance. And it may be inevitable. They may have to revisit some of these, these thorny issues of either no-fault insurance or a cap on claims, which they have in Alberta, which can be very politically explosive uh, elsewhere. Uh, so that, for all the attention we pay to Site C, and, and good on us for doing that, because the jobs and the, the billions of dollars involved are so, so huge, but ICBC affects pretty well everybody in this province, all adults uh, who drive, and that's you know 80% of adults. That is an issue that has now been handed off to the Democrats, and I don't see any easy answers for them at all. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of issues that kind of cross all party lines and can be dangerous for any governing body. Uh, real estate prices is one, and we've certainly seen that, and I think ICBC insurance rates are definitely another regardless of who you vote for when those rates go up icbc is a common punching bag yeah i think uh, keith's right uh, there shane i think we're headed for some kind of a cap on claims i would be surprised after the way it was so wrenching for the ndp in the 90s that they would go back to full-blown uh, no fault although there's lots of people at icbc think it's a great idea um but I think a cap on claims is very, very likely among other changes coming. And I also think, understandably, a new government is going to try to stick the outgoing government, the departing one, with as much blame as they can for the financial mess at ICBC. I'll note, too, that uh, Sage Aaron, who's going to be, I believe, the director of communications uh, for the new gov- NDP government, also comes from Move Up, which represents ICBC workers as well. Rob? Yeah, there's a, a number of staff changes, uh, Sage Aaron being uh, one of them, but uh, that, that union has been, <clears throat> you know, they haven't been as vocal as I thought they would be about what's going on at ICBC, because they're representing more of a kind of the, the front-end claims line uh, workers. They changed the computer system for them that caused a few headaches in terms of getting insurance and private insurance brokers and that type of thing. But they haven't, the structural problems at ICBC go much deeper uh, than the union. They're, they're in the management, they're in the, the fundamental way ICBC is handling its money and it's emptying out of its excess uh, optional capital reserves. And it gets very complicated very quickly. But the end result is that there's not enough money to keep basically subsidizing the low rates that everyone's paying. And eventually, at some point, you bankrupt the corporation or you hike the rates drastically uh, in order to pay, as, as Keith put it, uh, what it actually costs to settle the claim. So maybe it gives Horg a bit of an inside track, although I think that union was pretty friendly. <laughs> I don't think he had any problems getting David Black, uh, the, the president of it, on the phone when he needed him. No, probably not. The, the NDP is going to discover, I think, very quickly and over a sustained period of time that many of the things they, com- they campaigned against, they complained about, in opposition, as was their job, they're not going to be able to fix as government in any quick time frame. And that runs the entire gamut, whether it's ICBC rates, BC hydro rate increases, the fentanyl crisis, just because John Horgan goes to meet Justin Trudeau and maybe get pours millions of more dollars into the situation does not mean we're not going to have another 100 people die next month because of the fentanyl crisis. Mm-hmm. There are still going to be problems with children in care. That problem is not going away. Healthcare waiting lists are not going to disappear or go down in any significant way just because there's a change in government. So you can start piling up the issues right across the board 
that uh, for 16 years the NDP has been complaining about, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be fixed in any quick time frame. It's, it's just that's the, the, the job that comes with government. It's a hard job, and the NDP is about to find out just how difficult it is. Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting ride. Let's take a quick break, gentlemen, and we'll see you on the other side of this after Bob Price brings us up to speed on the news. More on Inside Politics on NL. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. Welcome back. Talking to Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Rob Shaw. Uh, guys, this has been a, a historic and an elongated aftermath of the May 9th election. And one of the things that's happened in the middle of all this, of course, is the wildfire situation. Uh, and unless I missed it while I was gone, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of politics, and nor should there be uh, involved in that. But how unique is it to have in the middle of all of this, uh, this kind of serious crisis happening? Uh, Rob? You know, it is. Uh, it, the timing is unfortunate, but uh, that's that's how disasters work, and that's really what, you know the reason that we have the system that we have. That there is always a government in place, even when that government's been defeated, and you're waiting for the next one to take power. You still have a premier, you still have ministers, just for this type of emergency. So, to me, you know, there hasn't been politics uh, so far, and I think the the big question will be when the NDP comes in on Tuesday. Um, you know, they they need the Liberals because the Liberals represent you know, the ridings in which um, people are being affected by these fires. They're being displaced. Even, you know, if, if you look at the interior, there, there are no NDP MLAs there, but also the communities where the evacuations are being held in Prince George and, and Kamloops. So there's going to have to be some sort of continued working relationship between the two parties. Todd Stone and John Rustad have opened that door as the ministers responsible for this by briefing John Horgan, but they have expertise and contacts um, that don't disappear on Tuesday, and Horgan has to find some way to continue to give them leadership roles, and they have to find some way to continue to, to tell their liberal colleagues that they have to help the NDP administration, because they represent the constituents and other liberals, uh, the constituents and the voices that need to be heard. So it's a very very interesting uh, political dynamic that I'm certainly hoping everyone's going to rise to the occasion uh, on. Yeah, me too. Keith? Well, yeah, and I think so far, uh, those are good points Rob made. I totally agree. And I think so far they have risen to the occasion. I think um, John Rustad has been um, um, very good to brief John Horgan constantly, keep him abreast of what's going on. And Horgan had an encounter with us a couple days ago in the front of the legislature with with the press gallery, and I thought he was um, very impressive. He he wasn't taking shots at at the government. You know, in the past we've had criticism over the government's handling of the wildfires uh, post Kelowna in 2003. We had the Filman report that the NDP says has not been totally implemented to their satisfaction. Not enough resources in in you know here there wherever. But all that talk has stopped with this uh, current crisis. Um, John Horgan is not criticizing anybody. In fact, he's going out of his way to praising the Forest Service and the Wildfire Service and the people on the ground. I think that's going to continue after his swearing in. And uh, and Robert is a very interesting point that's going to apply to a number of issues. The NDP is really sort of not represented outside of Metro Vancouver and Vancouver mm-hmm. Island. They have four, four ridings scattered around the province, but where these fires are taking place, they have no representation. They don't have a lot of support, and they've got to find a way to make sure whatever they do connects with the people who live in Kamloops, who live in Prince George, and live in the Caribou and, and the North and the such, because uh, electorally, they just are not there. And I found it, you talk about the strange situation we're in, Shane, nothing was more strange than last Sunday in Kamloops, where you are, where we had both 
uh, Christy Bark, the current premier, and John Horgan, the incoming premier, mm-hmm. in town on the same day, talking about the same issue, uh, about the wildfire situation, trying to bring hope to people in uh, affected by these these fires. We've never seen a, I've never seen a situation where two premiers. Uh, one incoming, one outgoing, attend the same emergency situation on the same day. It's uh, just another sign of just what a weird time time we're in right now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, Vaughn, is this, uh, whether it's the wildfire situation or former cabinet or even the prospect of governing, uh, is it a problem for the NDP to have a wide swath of the province outside of Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island where they essentially have next to no MLAs? Yeah, no, it, it will be an ongoing issue. And uh, you saw it, uh, Keith referred to it a little earlier with uh, the comments that uh, the outgoing premier made to Jim Harrison on NL this week, where she said, you know, the New Democrats and the Greens are looking at giving us a system of proportional representation in the legislature and electoral reform. And she said that could have a major impact on the North and the interior. But one of the options they're looking at, Shane, would move us to the federal boundary map for seats in order to create an at-large pool for proportional representation. Well, that would eliminate about half of the seats in the north and the interior. And you can, I mean, first of all, it would eliminate local representation for those communities, uh, some of it anyway. Uh, But the other thing you can imagine, the first thing that the liberals are going to say about that is, well, of course they want to eliminate half the seats in the north and the interior. They have trouble winning seats there. They don't have much representation there. So I think you're going to see this issue come back and again and again. It's, It's a real issue because a lot of the resource development and wealth in the province is still generated in the north and the interior and the new democrats unlike past ndp governments which had lots of representation in that part of the province um you know kamloops was represented in the dave barrett government they were represented in the glenn clark government they were represented in the mike harcourt government not going to be represented in the john horgan government yeah and it's be i believe the first time uh, a BC government has been formed without one or both of the Kamloops writings, uh, one of the many strange twists and turns we've had uh, in this whole thing. Uh, one of the other issues I wanted to bring up, uh, and maybe I'll go to Rob on this, is uh, is Donna Sanford and this new portfolio to specifically oversee the relationship with the Green Party. Yeah, this is a, a new office that's going to be created in John Horgan's Premier's office, and the entire purpose is to basically stick-handle the political relationship uh, between the Greens and the NDP so that the Greens continue to prop up the party. I think this kind of flew under the radar with the, the new chief of staff for John Horgan being announced to Jeff Meigs and other things, but I, it has the potential to blow up on the new Democrats, I think, because this is taxpayer money that's basically being spent to create an office for political purposes to keep one political party in power. We don't know how much it's going to cost. We don't even know the salary of this uh, new person. But, uh, you know, the NDP have often complained about patronage appointments uh, for liberals, you know, the different ways that a a person can be connected or married to a liberal or, you know, connected to the liberals and how they get these jobs. Well, you know, uh, Miss Sanford uh, is the sister of the deputy director of the NDP. Uh, She's married to, you know, longtime uh, former uh, mayor and New Democrat Dean Fortin in Victoria. She's, she is not, uh, you know, without her NDP connections. And she's going from this position as a senior policy analyst in the government bureaucracy to an executive director in this new uh, office. So it's quite a big promotion. I'm sure it's going to have a different salary range. Uh, there are problems for the New Democrats in this, I think. And uh, I understand why they did it. 
but uh, it is going to be a, a punching bag for the Liberals. The taxpayers are footing the bill to keep uh, the the Greens happy with a separate office, I think. Appropriate or no, Vaughn? Uh, I think it'll be controversial. I think the <laughs> Liberals... Uh, you're, when, you, when you take government you start opening yourself up to all the kinds of things you said when you were in opposition. Yeah, exactly. uh, it was interesting. We had this discussion this week with John Horgan as well, which is the old premier photo op line. So when Christy Clark went to events and, and toured wildfires, it was because she was addicted to photo opportunities. So what about it, uh, John Horgan? Uh, how do you feel about that? And he said, well, you know, uh, you got to go there. you got to stay out of the way of the firefighters, but you have to go so you can see how the community are suffering, what resources they need, uh, get in touch with the people on the ground so you're better briefed on it. That's all true, but it was also true when Christy Clark did it, and you're starting to see already that change from going in opposition, being in opposition is easy, to going into government, which is a lot tougher. Last word to you, Keith. Well, when it comes to Donna Sanford, I have to be a little careful because uh, I'm an old friend of hers, and with her brother, in fact, the three of us were all roommates back in college, so I'm not going to criticize Donna. Resign! Resign! <laughs> um, oh, look, Twitter's, Twitter, Twitter's lighting up. Rob is correct in that the creation of this position is, is unprecedented. I mean, for, for creating a salary position simply to deal with another political party, I've never heard of such a thing, in, certainly not in B.C. So it's a unique position. I think it gives the uh, NDP, whether it's Donna Sanford or someone else, I think it gives the, the Liberals, as I think Vaughn put it, a, a bit of a punching bag here, that um, is this appropriate use of, of, of tax dollars to simply you know, go have coffee with the uh, with the Green Party all the time and keep them abreast of what's going on. I mean, uh, I'm not sure that's an appropriate use of tax dollars. All right. Uh, Keith, uh, Von Robb, appreciate it as always, and there's going to be interesting times ahead. Look forward to chatting with you next Friday. We're going to be busy. Thank you. <laughs> we certainly are. Gentlemen, and thank you again. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on Inside Politics and Radio NL, and we're going to talk education on the other side with BCTF President Glenn Hansman. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL. Once again, here's Shane Woodford. And welcome back to Inside Politics. Thank you for listening. Time to talk education. On the phone, BCTF President Glenn Hansman. Glenn, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm glad uh, glad you could uh, take some time to join us. As I understand it, by the way, before we get into some of the issues, you're in Ottawa. What are you doing out there? I am. It's the Canadian Teachers Federation Annual General Meeting, where we come together with teacher unions from across Canada, all the provinces and territories, and uh, we're very happy because uh, Clint Johnston, our second vice president in British Columbia, has just been elected as one of the vice presidents nationally, so that'll be a, a really good role for him to have. He won't be leaving us, but he'll be um, be there as a voice at the uh, executive for the Canadian Teachers Federation. All right. Anything anything on the, to- on the table there that uh, could possibly uh, have an impact here in B.C. or no? Well, it's an umbrella organization because education is a uh, provincial and territorial issue, but certainly there's a lot of commonalities in terms of things that teachers are facing uh, relative to the governments in different provinces, um, a lot of support that we do in the uh, across organizations around Aboriginal education and curriculum support and professional development. So it's uh, a really energizing space to come to and uh, talk about issues that we have in common and uh, how we might support one another. Sure. And it's... Um, it's, uh, we're just wrapping up here, and there's been a lot of really good uh, dialogue for the past couple of days. 
All right. Uh, let's talk about some local issues, Glenn. Uh, I think I talked to you about a month or so ago, and uh, the government picture then was uh, somewhat opaque. It has certainly clarified itself since then. Uh, an NDP government's going to be sworn in next week with the with sort of a more clarified government picture in mind and a school year looming in September with the class size and composition and all the stuff on the table, not to mention education funding. Uh, with this new government, uh, what tops your wish list as far as uh, things that they should be doing right out of the gate? Well, uh, right away we have to address the problem that's going to be September. Um, the outgoing government stalling created a situation where a lot of the school organization, the staffing, making sure that everything was ready for students, didn't occur uh, to the degree that it should have in May and June. The spring is usually when school boards do all their budgetary stuff. We organize classes for the following year. We make sure that we've hired enough teachers and support staff so that they're in place when children, youth, and adult learners show up in September. And a lot of that simply didn't happen, or at least not to the degree that it ought to have. And that's primarily driven around the um, uncertainty around how much funding boards would be getting uh, relative to our, our court win. Um, the, the announcements came really late, you know, the, the tail end of the second last week of the school year, which left the law school districts scrambling. We had large school districts like Richmond that didn't feel they were getting the, uh, the amount of money that they thought they would be getting. And then on top of all that, there's the overall education funding picture because um, even with the additional dollars put in, uh, many school districts were, were cutting both teaching and support staff positions, and that shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. So I, I am hopeful, given that both the Green Party and the BCNDP committed in their agreements to uh, fast-tracking some additional operational funding for education that this can be addressed. It's going to mean a bit of sort of a lot of work between now and then and a bit of sort of reorganizing in September, which occurs anyway, usually every school year. But it'll be a good news story if we can get both support staff and teaching positions at levels where they should be so we could deliver on the services that students in their schools need. That said, Glenn, uh, we're having this government, uh, the the Horgan government, sworn in next week. Uh, John immediately hits the road to head to Ottawa and to Washington, D.C. We likely won't see a sitting of the legislature until probably September. Uh, Is that too late to kind of get the ball rolling in your mind or no? Well, I think there's quite a few things that up the province that the new government will be able to do over the summer in advance of the legislature sitting. So obviously there isn't going to be a new provincial budget that's dealt with between now and then, but it would be within the incoming government's power to uh, do some reallocation uh, within existing budgets or monies that are there. I mean, clearly they'll need time to look at the books, really see what sort of dollars have been left behind by the BC Liberals. Um, But I also look forward to, to meeting with whoever the Minister of Education is um, over the summer months, so we could talk about the real pressing issues that need to be addressed right away. Um, you know, we're very concerned about um, what's happening with all the fires around the province, too, because their schools impacted and families and our members, and what that's going to mean for children going into uh, schools in, in Willowette and Williams Lake and other places come September if mm. uh, it's still a disaster zone. But then there's, uh, you know, longer term things that we need to talk about as well, uh, supporting the new curriculum making sure that teachers have the, uh, the tools they need to deliver on it, that kids have the services that they deserve. So there, there are a lot of pieces to talk about, but the financial piece, at least on the operational side and class size and class composition, I think we could deal with a few uh, productive things over the summer months. And then as we get into the fall and budget system is there, 
um, once the new government actually knows how many dollars they, they have to work with at this time, then we could have uh, more robust discussions around those things. And I, I'm feeling optimistic. I'll be there on Tuesday, so uh, we'll see what happens at Victoria. How much money, ideally, Glenn, would it would it take to make a difference and make this uh, the education system, which you guys have, have long complained about a lack of funding, how much money would it take to, to fill that gap? Well, it, I think we're looking at a couple hundred million dollars more. We're, we're still way behind. I mean, we stand out like a sore thumb um, coming to meetings like this one when we hear what sort of services and supports are available for students in schools across the country that we simply don't have anymore in British Columbia because they've all been slowly chipped away over the past 16 years. And uh, that's not going to be turned around overnight. We're realistic about that. But we need to sort of start adding those things back in so that the current generation of students in the school system aren't experiencing what children, youth, and adult learners have had to deal with over the past 16 years. And uh, you know, we'll get there. I'm, I'm confident about that. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of what September is going to look like, um, uh, we'll get a couple steps along the road, hopefully, and then um, keep the conversations going from there and involve parents and the public in that dialogue, too, and making sure that we're tending to the realities of remote and rural school districts. All right. We got about a month and a half to the new school year. Uh, one of the more unique transitions considering the class size and composition agreement. Uh, as we get closer to this new school year, uh, what are you concerned about as far as getting uh, teachers hired and all the stuff to meet the demands of this new agreement? Well, that's another consequence of the delay tactics that the Clark government was utilizing because um, um, some major school districts um, were holding off on some of their staffing processes at a time when they would have been more optimally positioned to both recruit people from out of province and, uh, and, and from elsewhere. And so they're going to be a bit behind the, the eight ball. What we don't want to see happen is positions go unfilled or for um, children to be in, in limbo for a period of time until a, a full-time continuing teacher is, is in front of them in a class. And uh, that could have been avoided uh, by the outgoing government. However, we are where we are. And so we're going to do our best to work constructively with, uh, with the powers that be and uh, the, the BC Public School Employers Association and uh, Deans of Education to see what we can do to fill all these positions as soon as possible. Uh, we did uh, at the microphones here in Ottawa, Mr. sort of make a pitch going, if you've got <laughs> extra <laughs> teachers looking for jobs, send them to BC and we'll help facilitate um, you know, getting uh, vacancies in front of them so that people can apply. And there's a lot of qualified teachers out there in different provinces that would definitely be interested in coming to British Columbia, but it uh, may need some convincing to get them to come to uh, remote and rural areas, given salary levels and without some sort of moving assistance and everything. But uh, those are um, solvable problems, too. Well, when it, when it comes to class size composition agreement to the new school year, getting those new teachers in place to meet the demands that are now in place, uh, are we in good shape? Or are we lacking? Are we doing okay? Like on a scale, a month and a half out, where, where do we sit? Well, we're probably at about 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10. It's not terrible in all places, but there are quite a few school districts that um, uh, this, what they're saying is they don't feel they're getting the amount of money that they needed to from the province, either for space requirements that they needed or to be able to hire the teachers that they feel they need to meet their contractual obligations. And also, we want to make sure that we reverse some of the cuts that occurred this past spring. So Kamloops, uh, my understanding, um, axed about 18 support staff positions. That should not have happened. Those jobs are really important too, and 
and, and the services that they provide to students and the collaboration with our members is, is crucial. But we've also seen up to teaching positions, both classroom ones and, and, and in a supporting role around special education. And so it's, uh, it's the two, the two things. Uh, the money needs to be there for the court win and we need to increase the overall funding envelope. Um, and then later on down the road, we'll talk about school construction and seismic and getting kids out of portables and actually into know, real schools, permanent uh, uh, facilities, um, maybe reversing some of those school closures that have occurred around the province. Um, but the Kansas Thompson School District is a uh, um, a good bellwether one because it has both uh, urban schools, but then it also encompasses uh, schools in Blue River and uh, Clearwater and other places too. And uh, there's different realities in those school district uh, in those schools, and it really mirrors what we deal with on a provincial scale. All right, Glenn, we're out of time, but thank you, sir. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you very much. BCTF President Glenn Hans been talking education a month and a half out, and sounds like there's still a pretty long to-do list before schools uh, resume their course. Uh, we'll have more on Inside Politics this time next week right here on Radio NL. Local. First. CHNL. AM 610 in Kamloops. RadioNL.com. The Valley's first choice for local news.